I kind of picture that on my tombstone one day, Daryl Dash, he showed up. <laughs> um, there's worse things, I guess, so um, that's good. Uh, it's kind of nice to show up at a church and already feel like you've exceeded expectations by walking in the door. Um, but honestly, we've spent, uh, I've spent a few days with your staff in Denver at the Acts 29 conference. And I just want to tell you, uh, you know, it's one thing to see them on a Sunday, and it's another thing to get to know them and spend time with them. You are blessed with the staff team you have here, and uh, your pastors, uh, your staff here. Uh, it's been my privilege to, somebody asked me the highlight of the week, and I said, honestly, uh, the sessions were good. Uh, God ministered to me through them, but I think the highlight was spending time with the crew here. So I uh, just want to thank you for your welcome these past couple weeks, and uh, for the privilege of their service uh, to the wider body, not just to your church here. But it's good to see you again. Good to be here today. And, uh, you know, there was a, a few years ago where I got to go to basically Bible nerd camp. <laughs> uh, as a pastor, I thought I would be spending my time in God's Word all the time. And, uh, you know, I thought pastoral ministry would be like preparing to preach and uh, counseling people and, you know, doing all these things that involve spending time in God's word. And what I discovered is actually it's a lot of emails and uh, administration and responding to phone calls and a lot of stuff like that. So once a year, I get to go to uh, retreat. I go every year, highlight of my year. And it's a group of about 40 pastors from all different churches. And we bring in, we fly in a Bible commentator and he or she leads us through a book of the Bible. And it's amazing. We spend half the time looking at God's word together, and we spend the other half of the time as a group of pastors just talking about how do we preach this? What does this message mean for us? Uh, how can we take this home to our church and bless them? So a few years ago, they brought in a man for the second time, and uh, he's a man, I have his books in my shelf at home, a man that's a world-renowned Bible scholar. And during the first break, he, we were in the hallway, and he said to me, Daryl, it's so good to see you. I was like, I was looking, you know, he knows my name. Like, this is amazing. Uh, and, and we sat together. He had his wife there. I had my wife there. And we sat together for uh, meals that week and got to know them a little bit. Now, he made a mistake. I encourage you not to make this mistake. He said, why don't you come visit us sometime? <laughs> and, and so we did. You know when people say something like that, you're never quite sure if they're being polite or if they actually mean it. Well, so we, we called them a couple years later. We said, hey, we got, uh, I didn't say it quite this way. We've got nothing else planned for our vacation. So um, how about you? No, we had a, a year where it's like, what do we do? And uh, so we, we drove down to Jackson, uh, Tennessee to visit them. And um, the, what we didn't know, or maybe we just knew a little bit of, they were about to move two weeks from then. Uh, not just cities, but countries. And so you know, not a really good time to have a couple of visitors show up at your house. We spent a few days with them, and here's what I discovered. This man who was a world-renowned Bible scholar, whose books, I guarantee you, are in this church because he's that level of scholar. This man really walked what he said. He treated his wife with uh, tenderness and love. When we prayed together, you know, sometimes when we're about to eat, uh, it's almost like, well, we know we need to say grace, so we kind of rush through it, right? Well, we would hold hands, and you could tell in those moments when he led uh, us in prayer, his kids showed up, his adult kids at some point, 
you could tell that he wasn't just going through the motions before praying. He really was talking to God. We showed up at church. I'd hate to be this guy's pastor. Like, I'd be there thinking, you know, I'm going to say the Greek means this, and he's going to be sitting there like, no, <laughs> got that wrong. Well, you know, he sat there, and as he walked in, he wasn't Dr. So-and-so. He sat in, and he was a churchman. He sat there, and he leaned in, and as God's word was preached, he was there taking notes as hungry as anybody else. It was interesting because we went to the campus uh, where he was a professor, and a large campus, so a big school, and uh, we were walking through the, uh, the, the grounds of the campus there, and these students would come up, and they would see him, and they'd, you could tell their face lit up. And they said to him, George, and not doctor, but George. And he would stop, and he would, for that moment, the whole world would just stop, and he would be locked in on these people. I talked to a few of them later, and I said, what is it that, you know, it's not every day where you pass a professor uh, as you're going through campus, you go, doctor, so-and-so, good to see you, but you don't smile, your eyes don't light up, you don't stop, you don't talk. And they said, we're really drawn to this man because he's the real deal. And I walked away that, from that trip with him, and we've kept in touch a little bit since then. I want to be like him one day. When I grow up, I just want to be known as somebody who is the real deal, uh, who is godly, who is humble, who loves my wife, who, uh, the older I get, basically the less it's about me and the more it's about God and the people that I get to meet. That's what I want to be like. What I've done since then is uh, I kind of collected a, a list of people. I've got seven names of people that I, I want to be like. A lot of them are dead. Some of them are alive. Uh, they're all older. Uh, and here's the thing. It's actually good many times if they're dead because you know, it's possible to be ahead eight to one in a game and still end up losing. So, you know, you don't, you'd, sorry, too soon. Um, it's possible to live life well almost to the end and not quite make it. So it's actually helpful to, to have these names of people who are farther on and sometimes even have completed the race and you can say they've finished well. And so I got the list. Uh, Cheryl would know one of them, Leela Whitcomb. Uh, when I met her when I was, do you remember her? When I was in my uh, 20s, she was in her 80s at Centennial Baptist Church, a uh, former pastor's wife. Her husband had passed away a long time ago. She was a spiritual giant. When I was in my 20s, I would meet her, and I would feel like she's younger than I am. Her mental ability, her intimacy with the Lord, her walk with God, her joy, I wanted to be like her. There's a couple at the first church where I served, and they were the heart and soul of the church. I remember the day they came, a year into my pastorate, they said, we're leaving, uh, worst day of my life in that church. They weren't leaving because of me. They were moving to be closer with family. And that day, the heart and soul of the church died. They're on my list. I think of their godliness. I could go on. I've got seven people in my life where I'm like, God, help me be like that. Not because of me, but because I want to live a life that glorifies you. I want people, when they look at my life, to see your glory. I want them to see you. And today, I want to look at a passage of Scripture, uh, Hebrews 13, 17. Because it says this, Hebrews 13.7, actually tells us to do this. Hebrews 13.7 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So very simple here, remember your leaders. And then it specifies what leaders they're talking about. In this context, probably people who brought the word of God to them, uh, possibly some of them dead at this point. Remember them. 
But don't just remember them. Consider the outcome of their way of life and then imitate them. The word remember there is uh, a present active tense verb. And so it's not just like, hey, remember. It's actually, if you were to uh, put it in the tense where it was expressed, it was like, keep on remembering. Bring these people to mind regularly. It's why I have in my book that I review probably every week uh, on a continual basis, bring these people to mind, remember them. Who is it in your life? Who are the people on your life that you say, they lived well. They made it to the end. These are godly people. Uh, they finished the race or they're near the end of the race. I want to be like them. Well, Hebrews tells us, continually bring them to mind. I would encourage you, write down their names. Some of you right now are instantly thinking of, oh yeah, so-and-so. You know, that person who's maybe now dead. Or it could be you're looking over in the church and you're seeing somebody and you're saying, that's who I want to be like. They've been so faithful. I would love to be like them. But then Hebrews goes on and says, on an ongoing basis, don't just remember them, but consider the outcome of their lives. In other words, don't just look at them and bring them to mind. Actually study how did it turn out for them? How did, it, how did their lives go? Jesus said the tree is known by its fruit. A number of years ago, I worked at a church. We had a senior's residence attached. And what I noticed, uh, very, it was very good for me. There were two types of seniors. And my theory is when you're in your 30s, 20s, 30s, even 40s, you can kind of go down the middle of the road. It doesn't really, if you're not godly, it doesn't show many times yet. Sometimes it does, but you can kind of wing it. You can hide it. But over the course of time, I think our, our characteristics become more pronounced. And so at this seniors residence, I would see seniors who in their 30s and 40s were here, but they took gradual steps towards being Sorry over here, I'm moving grumpier. <laughs> they would take gradual steps and they would end up over here. They would end up being, the more you got to know them, the less you respected them. And on the other hand, there were some people I met where I was like, I want to be like them. Maybe they looked the same at one stage, but over time they took these gradual steps to godliness. And I remember spending time with some of them. There's a retired pastor who uh, came to uh, the church where I was preaching and he was a legend in our, our denomination, a legend. And I was a pastor. Like, nobody wants a legend to be showing up and sitting in the pew there. And I was wondering, what's he going to be like? Well, he was the most gracious, the most godly person that I could have asked for. What is it that causes some people to go this way and other people to go this way? Consider the outcome of their lives. Consider the people that go this way. What is it in a world where 30% of leaders make it to the end well. What is it that sets these people apart? Figure out what they did and, and take note of that. What is it that some people are able to go through the hardest circumstances, but instead of becoming bitter and angry people, they just draw closer and closer to God. Consider the outcome of their lives. And then imitate their faith, Hebrew says. Remember, consider the outcome, and then learn from them. As you reflect on their lives, apply what you learn from them so that you can apply those lessons. Imitate their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's really my goal today. My goal is to say uh, all of us are going somewhere. At this point, probably for a lot of us, it's not very evident where we're going, but really uh, there's only two choices. One is you become somebody who 
gradually hardens and becomes a little bit more bitter, or there's another choice. You can become one of these people who the older you get, the godlier you get, the more genuine you get, the more alive to God you get. You can have that kind of life. Well, today I want to look at what these people do that sets them apart. Uh, Because a few years ago, what I did is I really began to think about uh, what is it that actually causes people to become like this? And I I don't think there's a magical secret, so I'm not going to give you the recipe. I I think actually, uh, if you'll notice, everybody I've talked about is older. So I I actually think it takes a long time to become that kind of person. Uh, I think there actually is a bit of suffering involved, that these people, as they get older, there's actually a measure of suffering that God uses to shape our characters. But I began to notice, actually, there's some things they have in common together. There's some habits that they consistently pursue. In fact, all of them, without exception, that end up over here being godlier and humbler and more humbler and more alive to God, all of them do certain things consistently. On the other hand, there's a, over here, there's, I've never met a person who uh, doesn't end up over here who doesn't begin to neglect one of these habits. And so there's a one-to-one correlation of doing these things that will lead to godliness. And I began to think about this. And by the way, uh, I've noticed as a pastor, people come up to me and say, pastor, I'm not growing. And they would always say it in a way that would be kind of accusatory. Like, uh, pastor, I'm, not, I'm moving to another church because I'm not growing. And then, you know, I'm, I realize I'm far from perfect, so I have to look at myself. And it might be that I'm not preaching as well as I should be, but it's been interesting as I've talked to people There's never been a time when somebody's come up to me and said, I'm not growing, that there hasn't been a breakdown in one of the habits that I'm talking about. And so, friends, this is so important. What I'm going to talk about today actually does matter because it is the difference between becoming a godlier person and not. As I said last week, if you were here, it's actually not about these habits. These habits are a means to an end. And I want to underline this at the beginning that these are means to an end. The end is Jesus. And so what I don't want you to hear today is that I'm going to give you a fail-proof formula for holiness. These are only a means to an end, and the end is Jesus. Without Jesus, we have nothing. These are ways of pursuing Jesus. But I found that as we pursue Jesus using these means, that actually God uses them to grow us into his likeness. And so last week, uh, I talked about four preparation habits Uh, If you're getting ready for Thanksgiving dinner, you know what it's like. Uh, We cooked the turkey yesterday. We're getting ready, you know, all this stuff. Part of it, part of Thanksgiving dinner is setting the table. And last week was like that. Last week, we set the table. You might have walked away hungry. I kind of felt bad because it's like, we've done a good job this morning of setting the table. And I basically said, come back next week. The food will be good, like I promised me. And then, but you know, last, it's important because setting the table, if you can cook the best Thanksgiving dinner, if you don't set the table, it's not going to be that good. And so last week, we talked about how to prepare yourself to grow. We talked about making time to grow. We talked about resting so that you don't continually live in a state of exhaustion. The fact that God delights in you. that you, God does not delight in you because of what you do for him or what you do in your life. God is not impressed. God wants us to work as an act of worship, but God just delights in you because you're you. That God wants you to enjoy his presence And one day a week, find your value, not in what you do, but simply in him and find rest for your souls. We talked about how God wants us to care for our bodies. It was funny because we talked last week about how uh, we're not 
segregated. It's not like there's a spiritual part and a physical part and a, you know, emotional part and a relational side. We're integrated beings. And how when we don't care for our bodies, you know, everything else falls apart. And uh, Monday, we flew into Denver, and I think a combination of fatigue or something I ate, I don't know what it was, I felt horrible. And all, I, I remember lying in the hotel and just feeling so spiritually dead. And I prayed like, Lord, I just need to be better. Well, Tuesday, my body felt a lot better. And guess what? I felt connected to God again. Like my mindset completely changed. So we talked about this, how important it is to actually as much as possible, care for our bodies because it affects everything else. And we talked about simplifying and prioritizing, keeping our focus on what matters most. And so last week, we talked about these. What I want to do is take it a step further. Those were almost like setting the table for what matters. And today, what I want to do is to talk about, actually, this is the meal. All of that was preparation for doing four things today that are crucial, that all of us need to do if we're going to grow. And here's what I, I want to tell you today. Uh, you're going to be overwhelmed. Uh, I'm going to give you yesterday and today eight things. I know that it, none of us is going to go and do eight things leaving here today. My goal isn't that you actually even do four things from today. It could be that you go home and the Holy Spirit has convicted you of one thing that he wants you to focus on. And because all of them are essential, it might be that you put that into your life. And then later on, you add a second and a third, and a fourth. Here's the other thing I want to tell you. My goal is not that you begin to practice these and you do it for the next two weeks. My goal is that you practice these for the rest of your life in a way that's sustainable, in a way that fits you, because it is the path to becoming the kind of person that we all want to become if we're followers of Jesus Christ. Okay, are you ready? Okay, here we go. Habit number one. Four core habits we need to build into our lives. Four common habits of people who grow Habit number one is this, growing believers engage the Bible. Growing believers engage the Bible. So there's an organization called Lifeway Research uh, associated with the Southern Baptists in the States. One thing you need to know about the Southern Baptists, they have a lot of money. So, and they fund this Lifeway Research very well. And they did this study. They basically said, we want to find the input habits, the input goals that people can do they looked at all the things that pastors tell Christians to do, like read the Bible, pray, go to church, evangelize, serve, uh, encourage one another, all the things that a pastor like me would tell you to do. And they said, we want to study each one of those. And on the other hand, we want to see which one of those leads to godliness. Which one of those behaviors actually leads to people changing and growing? What commands lead to actually Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Uh, what leads to godliness? And here's what they found. The number one practice that people who practice this habit consistently, the number one habit that leads to spiritual growth is engaging in God's word. They said this, according to our research, the input goal of reading the Bible on a regular basis was one of the greatest predictors to maturity across the output goals. In other words, the more frequently an individual reads the Bible, the higher he or she will score on the eight output goals. To put it another way, reading your Bible positively affects your ability to consistently obey God, deny self, serve God and others, share Christ, exercise your faith, seek God, build relationships, 
and be unashamed about your faith. In other words, if you want to be a better evangelist, if you want to learn how to deny yourself, if you want to learn to love God, all these output goals, the number one behavior you can practice is getting engaged with the word of God. And what's interesting they went on to say is this, what's surprising about the research is that it didn't even refer to studying the Bible or memorizing it, but merely reading it. The study, I think, actually went on to show that even for people who didn't understand what they were reading, it still had an impact of causing them to grow. That kind of makes sense. I've got a 13-month-old grandson, and uh, he's amazing. And the thing is, he's always listening. And I know he understands something, but I know that what he can understand is still very limited. He can understand tone. He's certainly picking up words. But if you, if you gave him a vocabulary test, he would fail. He'd do brilliantly for a 13-month-old. But if you, put him, if you gave him like a comprehension test, but you know, the longer he listens, the more he's picking up. And at a very fast pace, he's actually assembling a vocabulary. It won't be many months now before he's actually speaking to us. And he'll speak with a few words and his vocabulary will grow. I can't wait to find out what he's been thinking all along. And it's actually, God's word is like that. We read it. Sometimes we say, I don't understand it. But as we read it and reread it and reread it, it's like learning a vocabulary. The more we read it, the more we understand. And sometimes we pack it away and think, this is too hard. I don't get it. Well, LifeWay found that actually engaging in God's word, even when we don't necessarily understand it, if you continue that pattern over a long period of time, it's correlated with massive spiritual growth in every area. Here's the trouble. The Bible League of Canada found that one out of seven Canadian Christians read, uh, do not, sorry, one out of seven Canadian Christians read the Bible every week. Six out of seven Canadian Christians close the Bible, put it on their shelf, and don't touch it all week. In other words, the number one behavior correlated with spiritual growth is a behavior that most of us aren't doing. I don't say that today to make you feel guilty. Uh, guilt never motivates anyone. Uh, conviction motivates us to godliness, but guilt doesn't. What I'm offering you is actually an invitation that there is a way that you can grow spiritually that is very accessible, that all of us can do, and it's simply the pattern of developing the habit of reading God's word. A number of years ago, I was arrested with Psalm 1, I think my all-time favorite psalm. Psalm 1 says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. I want you to notice the word there, delight, not obligation, not you know, checked off the thing, but delight. Man, I love to open God's word. I've been spending months and months and now in uh, finishing Deuteronomy. I've been going through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. People say those are the most boring books of the Bible. They are anything but boring. I am delight. Like there's, they blow my mind. The vision of God, you get there. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. If I were to say to Shar, I've been thinking about you all day. You know, I'm in Denver. I'm thinking about you all day. And what I'm basically saying is you occupy such a place of priority in my life that you're never really far out of my thoughts. You're never far from what I'm thinking. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. The man who's blessed is the one who actually learns to delight in God's word, who meditates on it. It's never far from his or her mind. And the result is in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. 
Friends, have you known somebody who it just seems like they have a weightiness about them and life hits them hard and they just keep, somehow they maintain their joy and you just say like, how are you doing it? I found these people are full of God's word. I know a friend of mine, uh, some people keep saying to him, you're so wise and he is. Whenever I want to talk to anybody for advice, uh, he's at the top of my list because he just exudes wisdom. And so somebody said to him, well, how did you become so wise? And he said, really not much of a secret. I memorized Proverbs. Uh, and then he had to go and add in Japanese. So it's like, okay, show, showing off now, buddy. Like, calm down a little bit. English is fine. But what he's done is he's filled his soul. He's filled his life with God's word. So much so that when he just speaks, people say, you've got so much wisdom. And he's like, it's not from me. It's, it's because I've just been digesting God's word. Friends, if you want to grow spiritually, I encourage you, make a habit of getting into God's word regularly. The good news is there's, we live in a golden age of resources for doing this. Uh, if you go on Amazon, if you search one-year Bible, uh, two-year Bible, there's so many different options, and they're all good. Uh, you know, to read the Bible cover to cover over the course of two years takes seven minutes a day. Seven minutes a day. It doesn't even take that long. Remember, you don't have to understand all of it. You just have to go explore it and allow it to begin to shape you. There's audio Bibles. There's study Bibles. Uh, there's all different ways to do it. We live in an age where it's never been easier to study God's word. And so I encourage you, do this. Do you want to grow it? The, do you want to grow yourself? The most strategic thing you can do is to develop the habit of reading and engaging the Bible. Delight in it. Become a Psalm 1 person. Begin to actually eat and drink the Bible. It will change your life. Number two, growing believers, number one, engage the Bible. Number two, growing believers, speak with God. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. The word, the verb there again is on uh, ongoing action. It's present imperative. Jesus is saying, not ask. He's saying, keep on asking. He's not just saying seek. He's saying, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. Like, keep at it. Don't stop. Do it over and over and over again. My wife and I, every day we pray together. It's been a habit that we've developed. It took a long time to do it, but sometimes I feel like my prayers are so repetitive. Sometimes it feels like I'm praying for the same thing every day. My daughter doesn't walk with the Lord, and on a daily basis, we pray, Lord, save her. Lord, change her. Um, intervene, Lord, for your glory. Change her. And at the end of prayer time, I'll look at Shar and say, it feels so repetitive. It feels like God must be so tired. I'm tired of praying the prayer. It feels like God must be tired of hearing that prayer. And then I read Jesus, keep asking. Keep Keep seeking, keep knocking. And then the, the promise there, I love the promise that Jesus gives us. Ask, keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it will be open to you. God promises a reward for us when we do this. And it's amazing to think that actually God delights in hearing what's on our mind, and that God delights in answering prayer. That God, you know, he, he just loves when we come to him. 
There's never a time when you've come to him where he's like, you again? There's never a time when you've brought your needs and, uh, to God and poured out your heart to him where he's like, I'm, you're so needy. You know, like I am so, never, never, not once. There's never been a moment where you brought your brokenness to God and give it to him where he's felt the least bit depleted. He delights in you. He loves when you come to him. He is crazy about you. Tomorrow we see our one-year-old grandson. Whatever It's been two and a half weeks. Whenever it's been two and a half weeks, we start to get to the two-week. Those of you who are grandparents will understand this. You get to the two-week mark and you're like, I need to see. Like, I need a grandchild fix, right? That's what God feels like with you. When you come to him, God is like, I've been waiting. I delight in you. I, for some reason, he just loves for us to come to him. I know somebody who uh, was dating somebody long distance, and what she would do is she'd open up her tablet, and she would open FaceTime or Zoom or whatever. She'd put it on, and her fiancé would do the same thing. And they would just go through the workday, uh, basically with that open link to each other. And once in a while, one would speak, and they'd be, oh yeah, you're still here. I forgot that, right? And they would be, I kind of picture prayer like that. That God wants us not just to simply uh, pray at the beginning of the day, but it's almost like God is inviting us to say, at the beginning of the day, you wake up, you say, good morning, God. It is so good to have another day with you. Is it okay if we just keep this thing going all day? And then you're driving to work and somebody cuts you off. Or, you know, like you're at the light and, you know, they slow down. And uh, right when they, the turns yellow, they breeze through and it turns red. And you're sitting there fuming. I picture, like, and then you get to work and whatever. I picture, like, what if we just keep this conversation going all day, God? Where at every point of the day, I'm just like, God, help me. God, I need you. God, you delight in hearing me. Lord, help me. Paul Miller, in his excellent book, A Praying Life, talks about uh, prayer as being a way we manage life. So instead of prayer being something we add to life, what if prayer is the way we parent? What if prayer is the way we actually make decisions at work? What if prayer is, you know, the, the way that we uh, make big decisions? What if prayer isn't something we add, but it's actually basically the way that we function through life itself? And a big thing for me, maybe some of you, what if we actually learned to be messy with God? Because sometimes I feel like I can't come to God right now and pray. I got to pull myself together and then I can come to God. What if we actually said, I'm going to come to God in all circumstances. I'm going to come to God when I'm tempted. I'm going to come to God when I want him. I'm going to come to God when I don't want him. I'm going to come to God when I'm, you know, doesn't matter. What if we just spoke with God? But here's the thing. I don't know any Christian who doesn't find prayer hard. I love what one preacher said, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said this, everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. He was a spiritual giant, and he's saying prayer is the hardest thing we do in the Christian life. For some reason, prayer, is, which is an incredible gift, God delights in hearing from us, has become sometimes a burden. What if we actually said, we're just going to work at keeping this conversation going with God, of saying, God, we want to live our life in relationship with you. We don't want to spend a minute on our own. We want to be with you. Growing believers have developed this habit of speaking to God in their lives. Number three, growing believers Engage God's word. Growing believers speak with God. Number three, growing believers worship and belong. Growing worship, believers worship and belong. Okay, so remember I mentioned Lifeway Research. They did this study and they said, okay, what input behaviors lead to godliness? 
And they found number one was the Bible. Uh, I kind of stuck in prayer. Uh, and I have to say, I kind of am going uh, against LifeWay research, and I'm asserting my own opinion there, that prayer is important. Can we agree that prayer is important? So I'm okay inserting that in there? Good. Uh, I, I forgot to say this, but you know, sometimes I think I wrote these books about spiritual growth, and sometimes I'm a little embarrassed because when I was a kid in Sunday school, they, they taught us a song that went like this, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And I, it hit me one day, I've written a book about how to grow spiritually, and here's the point of the book, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. So, you know, anyway, it's that basic, but it's doing it. Number three, though, what, and this is what LifeWay found out, it's not just reading your Bible and praying. They found that the second and third behavior that leads to spiritual growth is involving a church. And they specifically found two things that you need to do to actually grow within a church. One is actually to attend a church. And so Todd uh, said how happy he was that I showed up here today. And I made a joke about like, good for me, like I showed up, big deal. Actually, it is a big deal. Showing up for church, it seems like nothing. It is crucially important. And what they found is people who consistently show up for worship services and they show up with expectation, they show up ready to engage and learn, actually grow. This is one of the most important things you can do spiritually to grow. Do you realize when we're here today, how much we're doing that is like fertilizer for the Christian? How many times have you come to church and you felt spiritually flat? And then at some point in the service, something happens to reignite your soul. And all of a sudden, what was once just dry as dust is now reawakened to God. And you just feel spiritually alive again. That is not an accident. God designed church like this. God designed us to sing God designed it. One of my friends recently wrote a book called Sing Loud, Die Happy. I love the title of the book. God designed singing to actually change us. God designed us to be in the word of God, to hear a gifted preacher stand up and preach it. God designed us to be encouraged by each other. All of this really matters. They found there's a second behavior in church that actually matters too. And that's not just attending church, but actually being in relationship with each other. They found, and they're Southern Baptists, so they said, what about people who go to Sunday school? What about people who go to Sunday evening service? Fewer of your churches have those. What about churches that go to small groups? What about, and it could be any group. It could be any basically group of believers who get together instead of in rows, but in circles, and actually live in relationship with each other. And they found that both of those practices, both of those habits in church, actually lead to spiritual growth. And so friends, Please do not underestimate what's happening here. Please do not underestimate the value of being in relationship with other believers and showing up for church, uh, bringing your hungriness to what's happening here every week. Ephesians chapter 4 reminds us that we weren't meant to live the Christian life on our own. We need the church. The Bible talks in Ephesians 4 about the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In other words, growth is something that happens together. It's not a solo sport. I preached one year on the armor of God, and uh, somebody came to me and said, you know the problem with every sermon series I've heard on the armor of God? Every single preacher preaches that as if we're lone soldiers arming up. And he's like, we're meant to be an army. We're meant to put on the armor of God together. We need the church. And so friends, you want to grow? Get in God's word regularly. 
speak with God and do what you're doing right now. Show up for church. It actually will help you grow. Every believer I've said that, that I've noticed who's growing, they do these things. You look at their lives like over a lifetime, they've just been in the word of God. They've just kept praying. They've kept showing up on Sundays. They've kept engaging with other believers. But there's one more thing. Habit number four, the last one today, an important one. Growing believers adapt these habits into their lives. Growing believers adapt these habits into their lives. Uh, so here's what I mean by this. Um, I once spoke at a conference, and uh, I was talking about these habits, like, you guys need to practice these habits. You guys need to do this. And uh, the pastor at the end of it, he's like, okay, thank you. Okay, Dash, sit down over there. You're done. <laughs> uh, and then he said, okay, you and you and you and you get up here. They put up a table. They put up chairs. They said, Dash, you just be quiet. Like, shut up. <laughs> and they turned. There was like a senior citizen. Uh, there was a young mother uh, uh, who had little children at home. Um, there was a student. Uh, there were, you know, extroverts. There were introverts. There were all different kinds of personalities up there. And what he did to each one of them, he's like, okay, how have you done it in your life? Okay, I know you were a busy executive. You were up at five in the morning. You got home at nine at night, totally exhausted. How did you continue to read God's word? Okay, I know you've got twins at home. When they nap, you nap. Like, I know you're totally exhausted. How are you practicing these habits in your life? I know you're a university student. You've got so many credit hours. Like, things are crazy. How are you practicing these in their life? You know what I noticed? There wasn't one person who answered the same way. They were all reading the Bible. They were all praying. They were all doing these things. But it looked so different in each of their lives. And basically what they did is they said, we need to customize it for me. You know, you read these books and they say the secret to spiritual growth is uh, you got to get up at five in the morning. You got to spend the first two hours in prayer. You need to follow this Bible reading plan. Let me just tell you today that those are lies. That's one way to do it. But there's a million different ways to do it. And you've got to figure out what works for you. So what I would say to you is, what is your personality? Are you... Somebody who likes structure will find a structured way to grow. Are you somebody who needs spontaneity? You need to find a spontaneous way to grow. Are you an introvert? Well, you probably need time alone with God. Are you the kind of person that you come alive when you're in a room of 20 people and when you feel like when you're all alone, you feel like you're dying a quiet death? You need to find a way to pursue these habits with others. There's no one way to do this. Some of us are morning people. Some of us are evening people. Some of us are whatever. What works for you? What works with your temperament? What works with your life circumstances right now? It's probably going to involve some experimentation. You're probably going to make mistakes and you'll have setbacks. It's probably going to start very slow. And by the way, it probably involves having fun. What if instead of pursuing God with these habits, what if instead of treating them as a drudgery, what if we actually treated them like the pursuit of joy in God and said that we're going to find a way to have fun delighting in God? That we're going to find a way that just, it's like cutting with the grain. What if we found a way of, instead of cutting against the grain of how God made us, what if we find, found a way to actually pursue God in line with how he made us? And friends, in all of this, let me tell you, the goal isn't to build these habits in your life on a temporary basis. 
My goal is for all of us that we would build these as lifelong habits that we'll practice for the rest of our life. My goal one day is that we would turn from going this direction and by simply pursuing God through his word, uh, simply speaking to him about everything in our life, of spending time with other people, and then keep tweaking to fit into our lives. My goal is that we would slowly and surely walk into being old, gracious, godly, humble people. And again, my goal, that's not even a good enough goal. I think there's an even better goal, and that's Jesus. My goal in all of this is not that one day people would look at us and say, oh, what a good person, you know, what a good man, what a good woman. My goal in all of this is someday somebody will look at our lives and say, what a great savior. I just look at his or her life and it's hard for me not to believe in God when I look at them. They're just so alive to him, um, in love with him, so ready to repent. There must be a savior. Friends, that's what I want for you. And that's what I want for me too. Jesus is worth everything. Um, There's no greater delight than him. Pursue him with these habits. Pursue him for the rest of your life. Lord, thank you for this church. It has been so good to be here these past couple of weeks. I can tell a church that's well-fed. I can tell a church where as God's word is open, they just lead in. I can tell a church where people show up ready to meet with you and do business with you, to worship you. Lord, I, I know that life is hard. Um, today, a lot of us walked in here with very real burdens and stresses on our mind. Uh, we don't live in the midst of a perfect life. We live in the world where there's worries and concerns and stresses and um, for some of us there's just big problems that we don't know how to solve Uh, some of us are carrying heavy burdens that we don't know what to do with Um, Lord some of us have physical difficulties mental health or emotional difficulties Um, some like me have uh, someone very close to them that isn't walking with you that it's just a continual burden and But Lord, in all of this, our heart's desire is that we would know Jesus. Our heart's desire is that we would live our lives in such a way that just by doing uh, ordinary things, the things you've given us to do, or the things you command us to do in Scripture, that we would be on very good terms with our Savior. My prayer is that the older we get, no matter what life throws at us, the more we would long to see Jesus the more that we would delight in him and his people. And so, Lord, through your spirit, we're not going to do it perfectly, but through your spirit, I pray you would use these habits to draw us to Jesus. And I pray one day that people would look at our lives and instead of saying, what a great man or woman, my prayer is that they would look at our lives and say, what a great Savior. How great is Jesus, the friend of sinners, the sacrifice for sinners, the the hope of all who trusted him. Would you draw us to Jesus? Would that be the theme of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name.